become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I like to remind you every week that I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and that my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? And we do have special introductory offers uh, for you to try uh, these uh, three subscriptions separately, each of them. Uh, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Also go to J. Taylor Media, that's spelled my first name out, J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R-Media.com, to access this radio show very easily. Also to uh, see a lot of other things I'm doing um, on television and uh, video work that I do as well as access all three of those newsletters. Thanks uh, to you again uh, for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Paramount Resources, I should say Paramount Gold and Silver, Prophecy Platinum, American Bonanza, uh, American Manganese, and Rye Patch. Uh, in today's Financial Times, a front-page headline read, and I quote, The EU agrees to tough fiscal treaty, but Berlin warned over sovereignty rights. End of quote. But what right does the rest of Europe have to expect Germany to bail them out without exacting some sort of toll or cost? without them giving up somewhat, uh, some of their sovereignty at least. I mention this headline because I think it underscores the misconception, the belief that we can have our cake and eat it too, that we can live beyond our means and not have to pay for it, uh, that those who work hard can subsidize the rest of us, or that we can have a free lunch. Um, this really obviously is not true, it's, but we would all like to believe it's true. Uh, we would like to rely on other nations also for our sovereignty, uh, for our safety sometimes, not we in the United States. We are quick to go around the world and try to promise other people that we're going to make them safer. In, a, uh, in fact, uh, of course, those countries are going to give up a lot of their own sovereignty in exchange. Well, with that in mind, uh, our main guests today are Robert Unger and Robert Muchnick, um, We've had them on last week, uh, and I didn't get nearly as far as I wanted to in our discussion with them, so they're going to be coming back again this week. Both of these gentlemen like Ron Paul's views, and, and they really believe, contrary to uh, the majority opinion of most Americans and most uh, Israelis, I would, I would guess, uh, that, in fact, a Ron Paul presidency would be the best possible outcome uh, for, uh, for Jews in Israel. Uh, we will review the history of Israel uh, as we discussed last week. I think this is very important to understand 
where these two gentlemen are coming from and why they think Ron Paul uh, would be the best president, uh, the best U.S. president from an Israeli point of view. Um, and we'll discuss, you know, why both Ron and Robert believe that, and we'll discuss the internal Israeli politics and why our guests believe uh, that Benjamin Netanyahu uh, has sold the Jewish people out uh, to the global interests, some of those same interests that may be uh, behind the throne in the U.S. as well. Also coming on in a few minutes will be Roger Wiegand, who writes Trader Tracks. Roger will talk to us about his views on the gold markets and perhaps the bond markets and several other markets, uh, depending on how much time we have to talk to Roger. In the second hour of today's show, I'm really pleased to have with me John Lee. He is the president and CEO of Prophecy Platinum. Uh, this is a fascinating company with the, uh, that has this major well-green platinum group metals project. It's uh, platinum group metals, nickel, gold, some silver, a little of everything, some very, very valuable uh, metals up there. Uh, and it is truly a world-class uh, size deposit. Uh, and uh, I believe it's a company that could make people a lot of money uh, if things work out as they seem like they could. I Chen and I, uh, Chen Lin and I both visited that property last summer. Uh, it is, as I say, truly a world-class potential project. Uh, I know one of the geologists that's been working on it thinks it is one of the most outstanding platinum group uh, deposits in the world. Now, Chen, who was with me, will be joining me as well uh, to talk to John Lee, and Chen will stay with me then uh, at, uh, at the end of the show uh, to discuss uh, various topics uh, and to wrap up today's show. Meantime, so far, uh, 2012 is off to a very good start uh, for the things that we publish and talk about, uh, the stocks that we recommend, uh, and the kind of things that we are investing. Uh, in my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and this would be true as well for Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand. But uh, just to give you an idea, the, over the first few weeks, uh, well, through the 27th, uh, basically the first month, uh, our model portfolio was up 14.03%, and that compares to a Standard & Poor's um, 500 of uh, a gain of 4.6% uh, for the, through the first uh, month of this year. Uh, with just two, it uh, really is panning out uh, quite well. As I say, progress, uh, the companies that are gold producers are really leading the way in my portfolio. Uh, we have, uh, they were up 23.39%. Uh, we were up um, uh, 14% on what I call my A2 gold shares. Those are companies uh, that have gone through a feasibility uh, and are getting ready for production but are not yet in production. And then there's progress A and a3 and A4 companies, they're up collectively 20%, a little more than 20%. And that's against uh, a gold bullion uh, price that is up 10%, and silver is up 21, almost 22% this year through the end of last week. Energy and base metals also doing well. They're up 15%. The one item that is not doing very well that I put in my portfolio is a triple-down financial uh, FAS. Uh, this uh, really is a very, a very volatile, very... Uh, erratic uh, instrument, and it is uh, with caution that I suggest people have it as a hedge against a decline in the equity markets. Uh, it is a financial, as I say, a triple-down financial instrument, and uh, it moves very, very rapidly. It's uh, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. But we're off to a very good start, and uh, Roger Wiegand is going to be with us, as I said, at the um, after our first break, and we'll get his take on the on the gold shares in general as well as uh, some of the other markets. I would like to mention, and I don't do this very often in this show, um, but uh, I would like to mention a couple of stocks that I talked about in my newsletter last week. Bravada Gold Corp is a company that I actually interviewed um, in Vancouver last weekend. And in fact, I think that interview is going to be available if it is not already. It soon will be at investmentpitch.com. Bravada Gold Corp uh, is a company, it's traded on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol BVA. There's 114 million shares outstanding, selling at, uh, last week selling at eight, 8 cents, a mere 8 cents. It's up to, I think, 9 cents now, a whopping gain there of 1 cent per share. Uh, it's got a market cap then of, of around 9 or $10 million, somewhere in that range. Uh, and it, it has, the thing that's remarkable about it, of course, you can find lots of penny stocks, but what's remarkable about it is that this is a company that does have a 43101 
a resource of 938,000 ounces. It's likely to be much bigger than that because with the gold price rising, the cutoff grade that can be mined for a profit uh, tends to be much lower. Uh, not only that, but there's a lot of infill drilling and only a very small portion of this uh, company's target, uh, uh, which is, by the way, uh, known as Wind Mountain, a former producer, gold producer. Uh, this is the property we're talking about. Uh, this is a company that has enormous exploration potential, uh, and it's selling at such a low price, in my view, uh, and I should also mention with a very strong management team, in my view. And uh, at this price, I think the upside potential is very, very significant um, for this company. So I just mentioned that as one of the exciting stories that we told our listeners, our, our uh, subscribers about last week. Also last week, we did mention and point out some of John Williams' hyperinflation ideas, um, uh, John Williams writes an annual hyperinflation report. This is his 2012 report. We are going to have John Williams uh, on our show next week along uh, with uh, Dr. Gary Schilling, uh, who's known for his deflation views. Um, we're going to have them on separately, not together, but it should be a very interesting time. I think you're not going to want to miss next week. Um, John Williams, the hyperinflationist, and, uh, and Dr. Gary Schilling, who is, uh, who's written a very good book, an excellent book called The Age of Deleveraging, and uh, Dr. Schilling will be with us to present a deflationary side of this uh, of this picture. Now, also, I mentioned this past week, uh, Golden Hope Mines. Uh, this is a company with a project in uh, in eastern uh, Quebec, and they came out with just a phenomenal drill intercept over one meter of 197 ounces of gold. No, 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 I'm talking about silver. Now I'm talking about gold. 197 ounces. They have a nuggeting effect on the property, which has made it difficult to evaluate this property. But I think this is a real sleeper, and this is a company that's selling eh, about 25 cents a share, 36 million shares outstanding. Not sure. Uh, I think the stock is maybe up closer to 30 cents now on that move last week. I haven't checked it in the last day or two. But this is another very exciting story. Then we have the companies that are producing the A1 companies in our list, the Pedicilias, and company uh, in that list, and they just announced they earned $8.9 million in the latest quarter. The earnings of these companies is starting to grow and rise very, very dramatically. It's a very exciting time for this industry because there are many new companies that are just coming on stream. And I men might mention once again that my very favorite stock for this year is Sandstorm uh, Sandstorm Gold, because of its model, uh, because of its low-risk, high-return probability, it's not one that's going to take off like a rocket, but I think you can expect uh, Sandstorm uh, very likely is going to do uh, show steady gains in profits. Earnings should grow very rapidly, and I think you're going to see, well, I think I did go on record as saying I will be disappointed if we don't see at least a double in Sandstorm Gold this year. You never know uh, about that, but I like the low-risk, uh, high-return, longer-term possibilities of that company also. Uh, there are others out there that are royalty companies, companies in the project generator list. I, I met with a company called Eurasian Minerals last evening in New York. They just gained a New York Stock Exchange listing. We had a little celebration in New York. That is another outstanding company, a project generator, lower-risk a portfolio of projects with an excellent management team headed up by some really, really strong people, an ex-Newmont guy that is uh, really at the top of uh, anybody's list in terms of successful executives in the mining industry. Well, that's just about it. We've got to go to our first break. I see my engineer is telling me I've got 30 seconds. Uh, so we're going to take our first break now. When we come back, we're going to be with Roger Wiegand. We're going to try to figure out uh, and find out what Roger is thinking these days in terms of the gold markets and uh, several of the other markets. One that I, I think is the most important market of all, one of the most important markets certainly is the bond market. But we'll be right back with Roger Wiegand. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. 
a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me my partner, Roger Wiegan. Uh, Roger writes Trader Tracks, and uh, as I announced in the first segment of today's show, as I do almost every week, you can avail yourself to Roger's services, and you can uh, try at a low-cost uh, initial trial uh, by going to miningstocks.com uh, or calling my assistant, Claudio Bossi, in New York at 718-457-1426. Welcome, Roger. Glad to be here, Jay. Um, how are things on the West Coast today? Well, it's a little uh, chilly and rainy, typical winter. We get that about three, four months a year through the winter, mostly uh, little peaks of sun with a lot of rain. Yeah, that's northwest. That's, okay. that's the way it is up there, but at least you don't get the freezing snow most of the time. 
Okay, well, Roger, I want to ask you today a little bit about the uh, what your views are on the gold market, um, where you think things are going. Uh, how does the market look? Let's say you're trading the near-term contract, I guess, for for gold, uh, that's April, and for silver, that's March. How are those uh, How are those markets looking right now? Well, the most active April right now, real time, I've got it in front of me, is seventeen hundred and forty dollars. It's in the green by about five dollars right now, up three tenths of one percent. It did open this morning at seventeen hundred and thirty-four. It hit a high of seventeen fifty, which is pretty good uh, resistance point. Uh, the low is seventeen twenty-seven. So we're more back towards the high right now. Uh, the volume is very good, 143,000. We have open interest now of 230,000 contracts. Mm-hmm. Well, what what are you looking for going forward here now? Um, let's say into the first half of this year. What do you what do you see for gold? For the first half of this year, I see that we have two complete six-week rallies in gold and silver. Uh, we're in the first one right now. And that should uh, dip a little bit on profit-taking in the middle of March. And then we take off in rally number two, and that one peaks up at about the end of April. <clears throat> and doing the technicals, Jay, and on following these prices to see where, we're gonna, where we could go, I'm looking at around 1805, 1807 uh, for the first high, which would be uh, near the end of this, uh, excuse me, the, the, the end of March, and then the end of April, if, if things really go well, I think we can see 1923 where we had that old double top. Mm-hmm. Uh, if things really get pressured, and, and the, the power is very strong on these markets right now, and it's not just me saying that, it's several other analysts and also a lot of people on television and from Europe. Uh, if, if, in fact, we do touch 1923, the old recent eye in the last quarter of 2011, there is a chance we might even go to 2000 or $2,050. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty strong. But then, you know, I'm thinking always, you're always looking at things uh, initially, at least from a technical point of view, and I'm trying to think what could be driving this market. Of course, we know there's huge amounts of money being created out there out of thin air, which debases the currency, so there's a fundamental reason there. But also, the news that come out in the last week or so talks about the uh, Chinese and the Russians and maybe some other people actually using gold to buy oil from Iran. Do you have any thoughts about that? I think that's true, and I think part of that has to do with the idea that uh, they're trying to get some of their oil trading away from using the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. So some of them are using oil. The one I think that was most prominent uh, in, in that kind of purchasing was India. Mm-hmm. Uh, India said they're going to use gold bullion uh, to buy oil from Iran directly. Uh, some of the others... Uh, they're talking about it, but will they in fact do it? That's another question. Mm-hmm. One thing that's very important to, to underpin our markets, and that is this. The fund managers and the hedge fund managers who take very large positions in gold are back in heavily, and we wrote about it in our newsletter already for this week. Uh, they, they pulled several million dollars back into the commodity baskets, which include uh, crude oil, uh, the grains, uh, the precious metals, the base metals, and a few softs like uh, sugar and cotton and some of those others. The primary driver in the CRV is crude oil. Mm-hmm. But crude oil was up today. It's still getting a problem getting past $101, but it's pushing. And I can see the changeover in oil and natural gas coming here quickly. And along with that, in that same basket, of course, is gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Now, silver, silver today, the, the March price is $33.23. It's off $0.29 cents as of the trading now, but the trading day is closed in Chicago. Yeah, silver did open this morning at 33.55, hit a high of $34.13, and hit a low of 32.93. In silver, what we're trying to see, Jay, is we want to see the price get beyond $34.48 and hang on. If we can get two or three closes above 34 and a half, I think we're going to have a relatively quick run in silver to $36 and then to $38. Okay, well, you know, you're talking about uh, a move from the hedge funds into commodities and that uh, gold and silver are part of that basket. It's a very small basket in the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, for example, and yet 
you know, we we talk, uh, I talk about it on this show all the time about how gold has really outperformed uh, the Rogers Raw Materials Fund very dramatically since the Lehman Brothers decline. And now, Roger, you're talking about, you know, the possibilities here of the United States uh, uh, setting up uh, an embargo or keeping trade from going in and out of Iran. Uh, and that, it seems to me, uh, you know, could really spur... Uh, some interesting developments in the gold front because if if um, the U.S. is trying to use its uh, its ability to shut down the banking system from keeping payments from going into Iran, then maybe uh, you know gold uh, shipped to Iran one way or another would be one way of getting around the uh, the international payment system that the United States is trying. The United States and the and, and the U.K the Anglo-American Empire, as it were, trying to control. It's just my thoughts. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. No, I totally agree with that, Jay. The problem that people are having that are trying to embargo oil on Iran is the fact that they're not going to plug up the straits. The boats are going to go in and out with the load, and oil will, will seek different markets. Uh, I know for a fact that sometimes they will set sail with a, with a big transport ship loaded with oil that's, that's predestined to a port, and it's already pre-sold, and sometimes it'll get shifted en route to that port. It'll be, the oil will, in fact, be resold. The captain will switch directions, and they'll go elsewhere with the oil and deliver it. So to really embargo oil on Iran, I think, is whistling in the wind. I think that somehow there's a, there's a place to sell that oil somewhere in the world, and because of the global markets all being tied together, I would think the prices are going to be somewhat similar for sure. Well, that's uh, going to be interesting, and maybe our, our next guest who uh, uh, will have something to say about uh, their thoughts on this. Uh, well, okay, well, we've got another minute or two left here, Roger. What about the uh, what about the bond markets? I mean, when when is this bull market in the U.S. dollar long bond going to end? I mean, you've been calling for it for quite a while. James Turk and others have as well, and yet somehow. And we're going to have Dr. Robert uh, or Dr. Gary Schilling uh, on with me next week. And Schilling is a real bull on the on the dollar. He's a deflationist, and he believes that uh, you know he's telling people to continue to buy long bonds and other U.S. government instruments. Um, when is this thing going to be over? When is this bull market, nonsensical seemingly bull market in uh, in the long dated U.S. Treasury going to be over? It's 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 amazing, isn't it, considering the fact that they just keep printing bonds. Many of them have gone to auction. They come back on the shelf, and they, they're not sold. And yet I'm looking at the March most active long bond right now, and it's right up at the top. It's at 145.09 in the green, up one tick today. Uh, John Bogle, a famous fund manager, was on television today. He's encouraging to people to buy this paper we totally disagree because we're worried about it in the longer view. For the shorter view, he might be correct. I think what's really driving this, Jay, is the fact that Europe has got problems with their bonds, and considering the size of the bond markets uh, throughout the world, they being 70 times larger than stocks, if the European bond market is, is getting in trouble, which we know it is, I think some of the money that was over there is now seeking a safe haven in the U.S. bonds. And that's what's propping up the price and, and making it levitate, so to speak, when, in fact, it really should be selling because we are in a season now where the broader stock market is rising. And as we all know, when stocks go up, bonds go down, but that's just not happening. Yeah, well, the, that's true, but also we are in a season in which we uh, would like to think, and politicians have encouraged us to think, that we can have our cake and eat it too, so we can print our way out of problems. And, uh, you know, Federal Reserve um, official, a former Federal Reserve official talked on CNBC a couple of weeks ago about how uh, Bernanke is, in fact, bailing out Europe with $2 trillion of swaps. Uh, he said, in fact, it is a loan. It is a bailout. They can call it whatever they want, but that's what it is. So we are cranking up the printing presses. We are sort of socializing risks globally now more and more uh, and getting away from sovereignty, the issue of sovereignty, which is something that we're going to talk to uh, my next guest about. Uh, again, uh, Israeli sovereignty, U.S. sovereignty, uh, is is really of, of great concern, and then and then also a personal liberty and so forth that goes along with the loss of sovereignty and the loss of 
your own country's laws being the laws of, of your land, which is uh, really a very frightening concept. Well, one more thing here, Roger. How do you see the, the gold uh, shares? How are they looking right now? The XAU, for example, technically, how is it looking? Well, well, technically, uh, what happened, I'm looking at the chart for uh, January 31st, uh, uh, closing um, uh, today, or rather pull this morning, and there's two important things, actually three that I can see. Number one, there was a price breakout on the XAU above the 50-day moving average, which was a big deal if you could see this chart. Number next, the PMO, which is the momentum is not only going up, but the lines are spreading, means it's going up faster. The next thing, and this one is really my best signal for, for gold and silver stocks, is the metal-to-shares ratio on the gold and silver chart. It did a double bottom in the middle of February, and now has, or in, in January, rather, now has started to rise. So all three of those indicators are pointing up. They're, usually the XAU is slower than physical gold bullion or the futures, but there's no question from the signals on this chart. The shares are going up, and I noticed last Friday the shares, most of my shares in my newsletter, were starting to rise. Well, absolutely, Roger, and as we pointed out, our A producers, A1 producers, were up 23% in the first month of this year. Uh, Overall, it's been an outstanding first month of 2012, no doubt about it. Well, that's all the time we have right now. We've got to go to our break. Folks, don't go away, though, because coming up next, I'm going to have back with me this week Robert Unger and Robert Muchnik. Whoops, Muchnik. Sorry. You know, I'm going to get that name right this week if it kills me. We're going to come right back with both of these Roberts on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again this week Bob Unger and Robert Muchnick. Uh, they were with me last week, and we uh, had hoped to get to a discussion about why uh, there is a minority opinion among some Jews that, contrary to the mainstream thought, Ron Paul would actually be uh, good for Israel uh, if he were to become president of the United States. But in order to set the foundation for that discussion, uh, it was important, in my view, to review some of the history relating to Israel uh, that actually dates back to biblical times, and then to also review more recent history and how the modern state of Israel came into being. It was a fascinating topic. Uh, it, it seems that in this Orwellian world, what is false has been made to seem true, and what is true has, made, has been made to seem false in the minds of the major media. And, Therefore, in most of our minds, indeed, what we try to do on this show is to get underneath the surface and to try to find out what really is going on as opposed to what the mainstream would have us think is going on. Uh, I couldn't help but thinking about a conversation I had with Dr. John Coleman, <clears throat> the author of a book uh, titled The Tavistock Institute, and that was an organization that was funded by the British royalty and the Rothschilds uh, later in order to propagandize the British people and the Americans into wanting to go into World War One. In fact, Dr. Coleman will be with me in the near future in a few weeks from now, uh, and we're going to talk specifically about that book, although Dr. Coleman has so much more to talk about as well. But the Tavistock Institute is really a very interesting story about how it is uh, a tool of propaganda that has been used to shape opinion of Americans and British people over the last hundred years or so. Uh, what I want to do today, however, is to review some of the main points that we did discuss last week and then use that as a launch pad to, uh, to discuss uh, why Ron Paul might be a very good uh, president for uh, at least in the minds of, of our guests today, uh, both Roberts. I also want to explore some of the things that Dr. Paul has said uh, that I believe both of you, uh, Robert Unger and Robert uh, Muchnick, uh, think uh, that he is naive about, some things that perhaps Dr. Paul doesn't understand. So we're really hoping to, to get to that as well today. We are going to have you uh, for the best part of an hour. Um, but for now, uh, both Roberts, let me lay out the following points that I picked up last, from last week's discussion. And if, you, you know, if I'm off anywhere, please feel free to interrupt me and, and let me know. Okay. First of all, um, you both consider yourselves to be biblical Zionists rather than secular Zionists. In other words, you believe that God has given a land deed to the Jewish people to a specific geographical area in the Middle East. Is that correct? Exactly. And, Co and both, correct. And both of you are. Okay. Um, you, you both believe that Palestine, that, uh, Palestine is not a legitimate state uh, and I think, Robert Muchnick, you quoted Newt Gingrich as saying, quote, the Palestinians um, are a modern invented people invented solely to destroy the state of Israel, end of quote. Is that correct? That's correct. That's what uh, Mr. Gingrich said. And uh, uh, so a question, um, then one of the very interesting people that you mentioned, uh, Robert Muchnick, uh, Al Husseini, Al Husseini. Uh, that would be his last name. I can't remember his first name. I mean, he was. He, what is it? His, his name is Amin Al Husseini. Amin. Okay, that should be easy enough. Uh, that the British tried to use him, um, and he was, you know, that, uh, for their own purposes, and they established him as the Grand Mufti of, of Jerusalem to control the region. They really had hoped that he would be their their connection, I guess, to that they would be the, that he would be the British Empire's connection. Uh, but, in fact, he turned out not to be all that popular. He lost an election, finishing third out of a five-person election. And then, um, and then this guy, uh, Al Husseini, um, that, in fact, uh, well, no, what I'd like to ask you is what was his ethnic origin? Where did he come from? He wasn't Jewish, obviously. No, no, he, I'm not sure. I think he was from 
from the area, but I'm not sure when exactly he he moved in. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, most of the Arabs um, were really just migrants passing through um, the the Palestine Mandate, the land that became the land of Israel, because. As as we know from Mark Twain and from numerous under, other sources, Israel was completely um, deserted um, until the Jews came back. Mm-hmm. And so the migrant Arab workers would float around the Middle East, and they would stop in the land that became Israel mm-hmm. to, to work for the absentee Turkish and Syrian landlords who treated them awfully. So after a couple of years, they would leave, and mm-hmm. new ones would come in. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's not really evident when his family came in, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the Arabs on mass came in after the Jews started coming back on mass, and the Turks and then the British refused to let enough Jews come in so they could do their own labor. So they had to hire Arab labor, mm-hmm. um, and so the Arabs decided, well, the Jews are a lot better bosses than than their fellow Muslims. Mm-hmm. So they built. They would build towns next to the Jewish towns, mm-hmm. and this is when the Arabs started moving in on mass. Oh, interesting. And, and well, what suddenly, was it about this Al Husseini, Amin Al Husseini character, uh, that the British liked, and why did they think they could use him to further their own power in the region? Well, I think they're what they're known for is divide and conquer, mm-hmm. so, d- divide and rule to keep the the factions in in um, in the area. Um, at each other, other at each other's throats, mm-hmm. so they don't come at the British's throats. Mm-hmm. So Al Husseini was convenient because he would he would uh, whip up uh, various riots and incitement against the Jews, and mm-hmm. then the Brits would let it go on. Jews would scream and uh, not do much, except for uh, one man named Zev Jabotinsky. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Brits uh, threw him in jail. And the meek mm-hmm. uh, Zionists in charge let him rot there instead of fighting for him to get him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was this was what they did. Mm-hmm. Well, then after he lost the election, um, Al Hussein, he lost the election. Uh, he then linked up with Hitler uh, during World War II and encouraged and implanted the idea of Hitler to kill the Jews. Is that that's what I think you told me last last well, week? He actually lost the election before he became the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Oh, okay. Um, and so his entire public life was uh, simply because the Brits decided that he would be more controllable than, or more useful to them than the other guys who finished ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So hmm. he came in third, but the Brits liked him. They thought he would uh, suit their, their cause. And uh, when he got to be a bit uh, over the top... He ran off and uh, and went to Munich and Berlin. So did he uh, did he have some departing of the ways with the uh, with the with the British? Then uh, made him unhappy and he decided to go to Munich. What what caused him to leave? I think what caused him to leave was that uh, the Jewish underground, um, led by um, Zev Jabotinsky's group, the Irgun, mm-hmm. um, after he broke off from the mainstream. Uh, um, Jewish Defense Forces, they had declared a policy of that they are going to get the Arabs, mm-hmm. whereas the mainstream um, Zionists, much like today, have a policy of restraint. Mm-hmm. And we're going to show how strong we are by doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Zev Jabotinsky had a policy of the Iron Wall, that uh, you can't make peace until the other side knows how strong we are and we're not going to take what they're giving. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think he ran off in fear mm-hmm. and decided he, to spend the war with, uh, with Hitler. Well, he was he, very concerned. Uh, this is Bob Unger yes. now. He was very concerned that if the Jews were able to get out of Europe, they would come to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hitler had experimented uh, with putting Jews on ships. There was a famous movie uh, years ago called The Voyage of the Damned. Mm-hmm which depicted what happened when Hitler said to the world, okay, you want the Jews? Here they are. Mm-hmm. And so he sent them to the Western Hemisphere on a luxury ship, not a cattle car. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was literally a luxury cruise liner where they were treated very well. And nobody would take them, including uh, Roosevelt, who even sent uh, 
Coast Guard gunboats after the ship uh, to make sure that no Jews jumped overboard and tried to swim in. Hmm. Uh, so Husseini's main thing was he wanted the Jews to be exterminated so that they wouldn't come to the Middle East. Hmm. And uh, Hitler saw that the world didn't want them. And, uh, Rob, you could take it from here. Husseini raised 200,000 Bosnian uh, Muslim SS troops um, for Hitler. Hmm. And they participated, they did their work joyfully, and they were known for being uh, more violent than the German SS and more, sad more sadistic than the German SS. Mm -hmm. um, he By the way, though, that's who the Serbian Christians were fighting in Yugoslavia during the Clinton administration. Hmm. Hmm. So, okay, so he was... Go ahead. Um, Husseini also drew up plans to have another Auschwitz uh, built in Israel. So when the Germans would arrive in Israel, um, which thank God they didn't, the final solution would really be final. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm wondering now, this Al Husseini character was, uh, was still aligned to the British when he, was, uh, when he was working with Hitler. Do you know if that's the case? Was there still a connection there? I'm not sure exactly. At some point, he he ran off, and uh, maybe they thought he went too far. Well, mm -hmm. you know, there, there very well could have been, because, you know, the British had, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the White Paper. Mm -hmm. The White Paper was a document that the British State Department drew up, making sure that the Jews would be blockaded into mm -hmm. Europe so that they could be killed. Mm-hmm. So uh, although uh, we can't prove this, certainly it seems like a very great coincidence that the British were, in effect, doing the Mufti's job mm -hmm. and Hitler's job by making sure they couldn't escape from Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems counterintuitive to most people because the Brits and the, and the United States were supposedly fighting uh, for the liberation of the Jews, but uh, you know we've had people on this show, John Luftus, for example, who's written a book called America's Nazi Secret, in which he shows that the powers behind the throne were very much aligned. The economic powers, at least, were very much aligned with on both sides of the war during World War II with both Hitler and the United States. And, 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 and yeah, England. well, Professor Anthony Sutton wrote a book called Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, mm -hmm. in which he documents the interposition of Hitler. Uh, into uh, German politics financed by uh, Wall Street. Mm -hmm. It's a book you can get for free online. But, Rob, mm -hmm. you wanted to say something? Yes, if you, I'd like to pick up on what you talked about, Bob, about the white paper. So the, mm -hmm. in 1939, the British issue, issued a white paper saying that only 100,000 Jews will be allowed into Israel until the end of the war, uh, until the end of the Palestinian mandate, um, which... Nobody knew when that would be. And they said, in this white paper, they, they said, if we're going to exceed this uh, limit, the Mufti of Jerusalem has veto power. The only way we, we, we will let more Jews in is if the Mufti says it's okay. Hmm. So the Mufti was in Berlin with his buddy Adolf. So in essence, the British gave Adolf Hitler veto power over how many Jews could go to uh, the future state of Israel. That's amazing. That that really is amazing. Okay, so moving along here, then um, one of Husseini's uh, prized pupils was Yasser Arafat, as you told me last week, uh, who formed the PLO. And what was the stated objective of Mr. Arafat with respect to the Jews? Was he in line with uh, Al Husseini? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yasser Arafat. Uh... Yes, Arafat never hid his intentions to annihilate the Jews, never. Mm -hmm. um, he, he told his own people, he said, uh, don't, worry what I, don't worry about the piece of paper I signed with the Jews. Just listen to what I say in Arabic. I'm going to annihilate them. I'm going to drive them into the sea. Mm -hmm. um, not to mention, to, to be a bit technical, he actually didn't found uh, the PLO, Yasser Arafat. He took mm -hmm. over shortly after it was founded. Mm -hmm. um, it, was founded it was actually set up by the Arab League, um, and a man named Ahmed Shukari was the fir was the the first leader of it, and shockingly, they were founded in 1964 to oppose the Israeli occupation of the territories in the, from 1967. Hmm. So I'm not sure how maybe they used their ESP. Mm -hmm. 
They said there's going to be an occupation in three years, so we better found this uh, PLO right now. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so so this, I mean, here we have the situation with. Um, I mean, it, it really seems it just it just seems incredible that you have this situation with the British and the uh, and the Americans appearing to be on the side of Israel, and yet, in fact, uh, undermining Israel. It seems, according to what you're telling me here now. So we had the Balfour Declaration that became law in 1948, and the state of Israel became a legal reality at that point. But the Balfour Declaration, as you were pointing out uh, last week, was really made during World War One in order to get Jewish sentiment and Jewish money lined up behind Britain rather than Germany. In other words, so that the British Empire could be expanded. Is that is that right? One hundred percent. And then. Uh, but then soon, as soon as the state of Israel was established, both the British and the United States turned against Israel, as you pointed out. I, I wasn't clear on how much, but a big portion of the land was essentially that was promised to Israel in the Balfour Declaration was immediately taken away from Israel? Correct. Well, the, in 1917, the, the Balfour Declaration was issued, but uh, after World War One, the League of Nations um, declared the... the the uh, mandate for Palestine, and as part of it was the Balfour Declaration. Um, and that land included all of present-day Israel, including Gaza, Judea and Samaria, what people call the West Bank, um, the Golan Heights, all of Jerusalem, and all of Jordan. Um, within six months of accepting their responsibility to create a Jewish national homeland in all of this area, and to provide for close settlement of the Jews throughout the entire mandate, um, Great Britain illegally cut off 78% of the land and established uh, the Hashemites and in what they called Transjordan. So um, they, left, they left Israel with 22% of the land? They left Israel with 22% of the land. Um, they also gave a little piece, uh, they gave the Golan to Syria, mm-hmm. to French-controlled Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Go ahead. So Israel, the Jews were stuck with 22%, and then every couple of years, the British would figure out ways of slicing that in half. They, they, they kind of forgot that they already cut off 78% for the, for the Arabs, and so now they would just look at what's left and say, well, this is Palestine. So then they, they came up with uh, all kinds of plans, one of them being in 1937, uh, they came up with a plan to give the Jews a state simply in Tel Aviv and suburbs. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, then it eventually got to the UN, where the UN offered the Jews 13% of the entire land. Mm-hmm. The Arabs uh, weren't happy with that, and they attacked Israel the next day. Um, Israel actually gained a little bit of land and wound up with 18% of the land that was um, offered to her. That was. Uh, promised to her by law um, under the Palestine mandate. And this was the 1967, the war? No, this was 1948. Oh, this is all the way back to 48. Okay, when we say they, now initially when the land was taken, you know, 78% was taken away from Israel, was that taken away by whom? The British? By the UN? Solely by Great Britain. Britain, okay. But we also had, as you pointed out, um, Harry Truman uh, essentially, in, in, uh, placing an embargo, an arms embargo against against Israel. You said I think 11 minutes after the declaration was signed, or something like that. Well, what he did was uh, Harry Truman is revered amongst uh, pro-Israel circles for recognizing the state of Israel 11 mm-hmm. minutes after Ben Gurion declared independence. Mm-hmm. However, on the other hand, uh, he enforced the, the existing arms embargo to try to have it both ways. On mm-hmm. one hand, he he recognized Israel. On the other hand, he was letting the bad guys destroy Israel. Mm-hmm. So he would still be looked at as the good guy, and it was only with divine interference right. that uh, Israel was saved. Mm-hmm. Right. Th- those of the gold community who are secular humanists will not like that remark, but that's where we're coming from. Well, sure. No, that's uh, fair enough, and I think that uh, we need to keep open an open mind about all this. People do need to keep an open mind of the truth. And, uh, yes, I, I recognize that there are a number, a lot of people that are, uh, that are atheists or agnostics that are also, uh, uh, pro-gold and 
that's another issue. But I think uh, that we that we may or may not get into. But more importantly, to hear, then it seems to me that what we've had through, and I mean, what what really makes all of this possible is a gigantic propaganda machine. And this is why I this Tavistock Institute. I'm so I'm so really interested in in hearing more about that and various other propaganda uh, organizations that that really spin things in a way that get the masses of people thinking in the way that serves the ruling elite. Uh, so there was a major propaganda effort that was undertaken then. Um, that that and and both of you talked about this. I thought it was really interesting. First of all, the word Judea and Samaria uh, was changed to Palestine, so that uh, the origin of the people, the Jews, and that's where the word Judea comes from. Uh, that uh, that was spun into Palestine, the word Palestine, um, and that you know Palestine really derives its name from the ancient Philistines, and there was always that animosity between the Philistines and the Jews, and we read in, in biblical history the David and Goliath story and all of that. Um, you, so you know, I think it was I think it was Bob Unger that you, you pointed out you can't take the Arabs out of Arabia because that's that's their land. That's why it was named that. You can't take the Jews out of Judea because, you know, it's their land. That's why it was named that. Right, and that's so, why the New York, uh, what I call the New York Nazi Times, because the newspaper uh, supported Hitler, mm-hmm. uh, that's why they changed the name to the West Bank, because you mm-hmm. can throw Jews out of the West Bank. Yeah. You can't throw them, throw well, them out of Judea. Well, they changed it to the West Bank. Okay, so uh, interesting, uh, Bob Unger, I wasn't aware of that, that, uh, that the New York Times, they supported Hitler. As a matter of fact, if you go back and take a look at some of their archives, uh, they uh, said things like, he's a man we could work with. They referred to him as Herr Hitler, H-E-R-R, which is a, is a designation of honor. Mm-hmm. And if you read the book, written by, by the way, a, someone who is a lot different than me, she's a liberal Democrat, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, she did a nice job. She wrote a book called Buried by the Times, mm-hmm. all about how the uh, New York Times publishers... Uh, who were, by the way, nominally Jewish, um, or what I call Jinos, Jews in name only, mm-hmm. they actually deliberately buried all of the murder of the Jews in the Holocaust onto page 64 in a three-inch column, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is really an interesting issue of how um, some of the you know the most brutal Nazis were brought over to America after the Second War and then put into positions of... Um, I guess into spying positions and various positions and, and under secrecy and and never when the Congress wanted to try to understand this were they allowed to it was always uh, sort of suppressed that information well, we do have to go to a break here very shortly and then we'll come back on the other side of the hour but the question then is why did Jews put up with it and this was an issue that we talked about last week we're going to uh, talk about that as soon as we come back from from the break um, and I'm not sure here if I've got another Wait a minute. One minute. Okay. Um, w- well, I think this is an issue that we want to we want to talk to, talk about uh, in leading up then to current politics in Israel and the United States, and and eventually get around to uh, you know what's happening today and 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 whether or not all this aid that's going to Israel is really in Israel's best interest or whose interest is it in? Those are the questions we want to try to answer on the other side of the break. Um, and I think that we, we talked about, again, it gets to this issue of whether or not uh, one believes in a divine being, a god, uh, the Judeo-Christian god, or a force outside of nature or that, that created uh, the universe, as uh, maybe the deist and Thomas Jefferson believed, uh, or that there at least is a supreme power that, that we are all subject to, or whether or not man is the supreme power. And if you're an atheist or an agnostic, you might subscribe to that. To me, it has everything to do with one's worldview. And we're going to come right back and talk to Robert Unger and Robert Muchnick. After hey, break, don't go away. <laughs> business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network in this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty just one safe haven remains precious metals led by a strong proven management team prophecy platinum is actively developing the well-green platinum group metals nickel and copper property 
a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 